Good morning, Freedom Village. I want to thank Pastor James and just the staff. You guys have been a wonderful uh, friend during this time of pandemic. I don't know if you guys know, uh, when everything went down in Seoul, our building, uh, we had someone who was infected uh, pretty early on. And we couldn't use our building. And you guys opened up your space. And we actually live streamed from your space uh, every Sunday until two weeks ago. So I want to thank you for just the way you guys have uh, helped us at King's Cross. And the way Pastor James has been so gracious. So thank you guys. Uh, This morning, I want to, as the text was read, we're going to be in Mark chapter 6, verses 45 to 52. Um, and, And this idea of 2020 you know, it's been a really challenging season for many of us. It's been a challenging year for all of us. Whether it's challenges of dealing with our work, our kids being home all the time, our finances, with all that's happening with this pandemic, or something else. Uh, but it's been a year of definitely a great uncertainty. And this morning, I want to open up the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6, and encourage you with this biblical truth that we'll see throughout this story. And the unchanging truth Uh, that we find throughout this story is that, is this. If kids are going crazy right now and you have to go away or you've had a rough night and you need to to rest a little bit, this is what you're going to get from this sermon. This is the main idea. God will call you and I to places we do not want to go in order to produce in us something we cannot attain on our own. Again, God will call you and I to places that we do not want to go in order to produce in us something we cannot attain on our own. That's really the idea of this story. So that's, uh, as it was read, Mark 6, 50, 45 to 52. Uh, what we'll do is we'll just walk through the passage together um, for the next 25 minutes. Uh, before we go into the actual story, let's place this story within the context of the Gospel of Mark. Um, this story, a well-known story, takes place immediately after one of the greatest Miracles, you know, one of my favorite miracles, Jesus multiplying bread and fish. I love bread, I love fish. Um, and it was an amazing, amazing miracle where he fed thousands of people. Um, and and this, this story of his disciples traveling ac- across the Galilee Sea uh, takes in place immediately after uh, that story. Even before the crowd got up to leave, Jesus rushes his disciples onto a boat. Rushing them, telling them to go ahead of him to the next town, and he's going to catch up. So Jesus remains, um, you know, Jesus remains uh, by himself, sends away his disciples. And really his disciples simply obey Jesus as they make their way across the Galilean water. But while on their way, they are met with this storm. Uh, the winds and the waves make this journey much more difficult. What it would have taken a couple hours, two to four hours, it was taking them all day, all night, and they still couldn't get across. Notice, most of the storm we find in both Old Testament and New Testament scripture is a result of people's disobedience, i.e. Jonah. Jonah disobeys, meets a storm, right? We know the story. But the storm we find in our passage is, is, is unique. It's different. Jesus' disciples in our story find themselves in the middle of the storm, not because they disobey, but because they obeyed, right? They, they've done nothing but follow the instruction of their teacher, yet they find themselves fighting against this wind and the wave, and Mark gives us a bit of more details about the nature of this storm, which is very unlike, unlike Mark. 
Uh, you know, Mark is, 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 is pretty concise, pretty to the point. But here in this passage, Mark gives a bit more details about the nature of the storm, which means we should take notice. Whenever you find colors and descriptions and details about something in the Gospel of Mark, that should alert us to take notice because it is important. So according to the Mark, the storm, the nature of the storm is not a life-threatening storm. We've seen that before. But rather, this, is, this, this storm uh, is a storm that simply wears you down, making the journey very, very difficult, very, very painful. Not threatening, not life-threatening, but because of the wind and the waves, it just made the trip really, really hard. In fact, Mark tells us they were struggling for hours and hours trying to get to the other side. Important. And the story gets even more interesting because Jesus, while praying from afar... He was spending time with the Father. He did that a lot throughout the gospel. He sees, as he was doing that, he sees his disciples struggling against a storm. Yet, you, if you notice, he doesn't immediately go to offer help. Mark tells us it wasn't until the fourth watch of the night. What's the fourth watch of the night? It's sometime between 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. In fact, when you see Jesus in our text, there is no sense of panic or urgency in the actions of Jesus. Why? It's because, again, Jesus wants to accomplish something in the hearts of his disciples through this particular storm. Again, in the same way, there are times God will call you and I to places we do not want to go in order to produce in us something we cannot attain on our own. That's what's happening here. Perhaps for you, it's this pandemic and what this pandemic has done to you and your family. Perhaps it's this current season of life. Perhaps it's work, problems at work. Perhaps it's relational problems. Perhaps it's related to finances or something else. But I think we can all agree no storm of life is enjoyable. And when we do find ourselves in a hard, difficult places, all we, all we really want is relief and rescue. Yet could it be that God has, you, God has you and I exactly where he wants us to be? Could it be that through whatever hardship that we are experiencing in this current season, it may be God's way of creating something in you that you cannot attain on your own? Again, trials, though are painful yet they aren't always harmful. Trials are often painful, yet they aren't always harmful. Listen to Edmund Cloudy. Here's a quote from a pastor uh, from 19, 1950s. And he says this, and I quote, Trials should not surprise us or cause us to doubt God's faithfulness. But we are often surprised. Rather, whenever we face trial, we should actually be glad for them. God sends trials to strengthen our trust in him so that our faith will not fail. Our trials keep us trusting. They burn away our self-confidence and drive us to our Savior. Our trials keep us trusting. They burn away our self-confidence. And most importantly, it drives us. They drive us to our Savior. You see, contrary, contrary to what we believe, trials are often what draws you and I to God's comfort and grace. Trials are designed, actually, to drive us beyond ourselves, beyond our own strength, beyond our own wisdom. They help us realize that we don't always have the answers. 
back to the story, verse 48. So Jesus finally, he waits for the right time. He finally gets on the water and starts walking towards his disciples on foot. And there's no other way to translate this, right? If you look at the Greek, it's the word epi, which means on, upon, or on top of the water. It, It is definitely very dramatic, Right? Jesus could have just gone another boat instead of you know, choosing to walk on water, scaring everybody and everybody's mother. But you see, this is very intentional on Jesus' part. Jesus wants, by walking on water, by defying gravity, Jesus wants his struggling disciples to see him for he, who he truly is. Jesus wants his disciples, disciples to know he is not merely a great teacher, not merely a prophet of God, not merely a rabbi. No. He wants his disciples to know he is God himself and only creator himself has the authority to command water and water has no power to deny him. There's more. Verse 48, it says, Jesus meant to pass by them. Okay, this does not mean Jesus meant to literally go past them, for that wouldn't make any sense. You see, this is important. Mark is writing to a group of people who are very familiar with the Old Testament scriptures. And this phrase, to pass by, to us, it may simply sound like Jesus meant to go past them. No, for people that know the Old Testament scripture, it has significant theological implications. Throughout Old Testament scripture, to pass by holds significant theological implication in all of Old Testament narrative. Exodus 33:22. At Mount Sinai, Moses is pleading with God to have mercy on his own people. They've sinned, they worship idol, and God is angry, and Moses says, Have mercy. Have mercy. If you do not go, I will not go, right? And and God responds. To Moses by revealing himself to Moses and the author in verse 22 of Exodus. It says, when my glory passes by. God says, I'll show you my glory. When God passes by Moses, same language, what happens? Moses' heart is encouraged and strengthened. 1 King 19.11, Elijah is deeply discouraged. Ministry is hard. Serving God is hard. He's afraid for his life. He's depressed. He's just about to give up on ministry even in his own life. And there once again, Yahweh passes by. That's what the scripture says. And as he passes by, discouraged Elijah, he reveals his glory and restores hope and strength to Elijah. So when Mark says Jesus meant to pass by them in this text, it means Jesus intended to reveal himself. Again, showing his glory in hopes to restore strength, to restore power, to restore courage to his struggling disciples. That's what it means to pass by. Yet verse 49, Mark tells us that his disciples, contrary to what Jesus was trying to do, his disciples were not prepared to see him. Instead, when they see their teacher, they become utterly terrified at the sight of their teacher. And of course, seeing someone defy gravity can be a terrifying sight. I mean, imagine it's 3 a.m., you see somebody walking on water. Yeah, it's scary. Yet by this time, his disciples would have witnessed even greater miracles that Jesus was doing. 
They've seen Jesus drive out demons. They've seen Jesus silence the wind and the waves before. They've seen Jesus bring a dead person to life. Yet even after all of those amazing experiences, his disciples were not prepared to see Jesus. They were not prepared to respond in faith. Why? It's simple. Faith is not easy. Fear is easy. Doubt is easy. Questioning God is easy. But faith is hard. Faith is difficult. Like for me, I wish I could say, I never doubt. I am never afraid. I never question God. I wish I could say, I'm never afraid when challenges and difficulties of life overwhelm me. I wish I could say, I've, I never doubt God's provision when it comes to my own kids, my own family. I wish I could say, I never question God when leading a church gets tough and relationships in the church gets messy. I, I wish I could say this pandemic season has been an enriching season of, 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 of make me grow towards faith. But that simply wouldn't be true. It's been a hard season. Leading a church is hard. Parenting is hard. We, all these challenges. And I think many of you would agree that responding in faith is never easy. But friends, this story is amazing because when we see Jesus and the way he responds to his disciples... It reveals so much about his grace and his love. Friends, Jesus knows you. Jesus knows me. He knows your struggle. He knows my struggle. He knows our questions and your questions. He knows your fears and doubts. But look at, look at Jesus' response to his disciples in our passage. Jesus is not upset. He's not angry nor discouraged. Instead, look at, look at what happens. He sees them utterly terrified Instead of Jesus moving away from his disciples, he moves even closer until he gets into the boat. And once he gets in, he's encouraging them, and he says these powerful words, take heart, for it is I. Notice, nothing has changed for his disciples. The wind is still blowing. The waves are still crashing against their boat. Yet these words of Jesus, take heart, for it is I, change everything. It is I. In Greek, it's ego and me, which is self-expression of God himself throughout Old Testament. Again, when we said to, meant to pass by them, that has significant theological implication through Old Testament, so is this, this word, it is I, this phrase, it is I. To pass by and it is I, when Mark uses both phrases together, he is doing it intentionally and through them, Mark wants everyone who's hearing this story to understand that Jesus is not mere men, but Jesus is God, and he's displaying his full glory to his struggling disciples. It is I, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the same I am has entered the boat. We were in Exodus earlier. Let's go back to Exodus. Exodus chapter 3, when God first called Moses back to Egypt, you see, Moses was unsure. He was afraid of what people may say. So he asks God, God, if people ask me who has sent you, what do I tell them? And God says in verse 14, Exodus 3, 14, he says, I am who I am. It is I, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And on that very name, all promises and covenant will be made true. 
We see that same God who was in that burning bush in Exodus 3, who was in this violent storm in Mark 4. He is also with you. He is also with me. He is also with you in your trials. Just as he spoke to Moses, just as he spoke to his disciples through this passage, he speaks the same words of comfort and peace over you. He says, take courage, for I am is here with you. This means no pushbacks, setbacks, fears, and failures can keep you and I from experiencing God's comfort, grace, and peace. So when your depression has gotten the best of you and you feel utterly helpless and you can't get out of the bed, remember, I am is there with you. When life feels utterly overwhelming and you feel completely spent, remember, I am is there with you and he will guide you. When your own failures and fears and sins have gotten the best of you and you feel completely disqualified from God's loving kindness, remember that I am is with you and that I am has invaded your life and you are never the same. This is what Paul is talking about in Romans chapter 8, verse 35 to 39. You know, Paul writes this letter to church in Rome and and he reminds them the same truth. And he says, who shall separate you and I from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Jumping to verse 38. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate you and I from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. No pandemic, no financial struggles, no relational struggles, No words of condemnation. Nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Amen. Let me bring this story to close. Verse 51. As soon as Jesus gets into the boat, the wind and the waves become completely silent. Again, God speaks to creation and the creation must listen. And Mark tells us something really interesting. He says that the disciples now move from being terrified to being amazed. But then Mark says in verse 31, they were amazed because they did not understand about the loaves and their hearts were hardened. Mark says them being amazed is actually not a great thing. They were amazed because they did not understand about the loaves and their hearts were hardened. Here's what Mark is saying. Amazement is better than being afraid. But amazement is not what Jesus had wanted to see from his disciples at the end of this account. The story ends with a sobering warning for all of us. Apparently, there's a way for you and I to go through something extremely hard and challenging and experience Jesus in the midst of all that, yet still walk away merely amazed. Why is amazement not so great in this text? You see, amazement means they were greatly surprised. Instead, what Jesus expected to see was greater sense of faith. Jesus wanted to see faith. Jesus wanted to see them trust Jesus more at the end of this story. In the same way 
as many of us are facing hard, difficult challenges in this season because of this pandemic and all these uncertainties around us. I don't know about you, but this pandemic has exposed a lot of unhealthy things in my own heart. I don't know about you, but for me, this pandemic and this season of, of uncertainty has exposed a lot of unhealthy things in my own heart. Maybe you feel the same way. My hope is that we don't walk away from this season simply being amazed. So say we get a vaccine, we get herd immunity, and everything goes back to normal. I don't know if everything will ever go back to normal, but let's just say everything goes back to normal and we could do life again, we could work again, we could go to church again, we could hang out again. But our hope is that we don't just walk away from the season simply being amazed, but through what we have gone through, through, through what we have experienced, I, I pray that our faith and trust in God will grow. We don't walk away from the season simply amazed, but greater expectation for God to do something new through this pandemic. Expecting God to finish the work he started in our own hearts. Expecting God to finish the work he started in this community. Freedom Village, you guys just merged as one church. Expecting God to do something new. It's the worst time to go through a merger. It's the worst time to go through something like this, but, but trusting that God has us where he wants us to be. Trusting and expecting God to move in your workplace, in our homes, in our marriage. For me, parenting has been a huge challenge. I don't know about you guys. Maybe for your singles, all the singles, you guys have been feeling lonely. For, for us with kids, it's been intense parenting. And a lot of nasty, ugly things have been exposed in the way I parent. But we could ever be so confident because, not because we, we have what it takes in us to be able to overcome this pandemic or overcome these uncertainties, overcome these unhealthy things in our heart, but because of what Jesus has accomplished for us. And this is where I'll land the plane. This is the gospel. Just as Jesus went out to the raging sea to rescue his struggling disciples in our story, Jesus came for you and I. He came because, not because we were great or we were doing really well. He came because we were also stuck, unable and unwilling to come to him. And just as Jesus jumped into that raging sea to save his disciples, Jesus has jumped into our world of great chaos and sin in order to rescue you and I. You see, Jesus came to live the life that we could not live. And he died our death for us and because of us. Therefore, we do not need to be afraid nor remain merely amazed. Instead, we could confidently face anything that may come our way because, again, I am has invaded our lives. Jesus has invaded our lives and our lives will never be the same because of what he's done, because of the death that he died, the life that he lived. I just want to encourage all of us as we're still in the middle of a tough, difficult season that the story of his disciples, story of this boat and this storm may just encourage us once again. I'm not saying knowing the story would make whatever you're going through easier, less harder, less painful. But what I am saying 
There's a way of a Savior who not only came for us, but he understands what it means to go through something even more painful. So Freedom Village, this is my encouragement to you. God may be calling you, and God, you may be in the season of a place where you may not want to be in, but trust that God has you where you are because he wants to create something in you that you cannot attain on your own. Let's pray together. Let me pray for us.